Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path become a world-class dermatologist. Welcome back to the DIGA podcast, everyone. I am your host, Nate Marquin, and on today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Dawn Sammons. She's the program director at Riverside Ohio Health Dermatology Residency Program, and on today's episode, she shares what she looks for in an applicant, and I hope you stick around because she's some great info. With that being said, I'll see you on the skin side. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Dawn Sammons, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Thanks so much for having me, Nate. So, um, yeah, I'm Dr. Sammons. I am the program director for the Riverside Ohio Health Dermatology Program. I've actually been in that role for 10 years, but as Nate and I were just sort of chatting about, um, I started medical school a little late and have done a, a lot of different things in my life, which I think has brought me to have a different perspective maybe as a program director than some of my, some of my colleagues, shall we say. So what medical school did you go to? So I graduated from Ohio University's Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine in Athens, which actually I have three degrees from Ohio University <laughs> because I had my children in medical school. So I sort of just never left uh, Athens. Mm -hmm. Are you a big Buckeyes fan? Well, that's funny that you say that. So I am not, okay. but my husband uh, graduated from Ohio State and he played rugby at Ohio State. So okay. he doesn't let me live it down <laughs> that I went to OU and he went to Ohio State. Okay. So he's a huge Buckeye fan. My father-in-law grew up in Cleveland. He he moved and left Cleveland at 18, but he grew up out there. And there's, that whole side of the family is huge Ohio fans, Ohio State fans. <laughs> we got uh, kind of every summer, we go visit them. Uh, my wife's great grandma is going to be 104. So That's we incredible. go, we go every year, well, the last two years because of med school is a little bit hard, but we typically go for that. Uh, that might be her last year type of thing, birthday, you know, it's kind of crazy to think about, but yeah, so it's, it's fun to go there during the summer. I haven't been there in the winter. How are the winters? Um, they haven't been bad lately. So, I mean, although I, I say that I woke up to snow this morning, so <laughs> it just sort of depends, but we've had a, a very easy knock on wood winter this year. Okay. Yeah, um, originally from Southern California, living in Denver now, and the winters have been pretty mild here. This year has been a lot colder than the last two years, but uh, the snow will come and then melts quickly. They say it's 300 days of sunshine here, and I, can, I can't disagree. <laughs> Denver is beautiful. Plus, if you want snow, you're an hour and 20 minutes away yep. from the mountains, and you can be in the mountains and enjoy all of that. Yeah. So my, my big question I like to ask everyone initially is, why did you choose dermatology, and when did you know that was for you? So I did not follow the usual route. So most people out there who are thinking they want to be dermatology residents, they're following a different route than I did. Um, I actually thought I was going to be a psychiatrist. I went to medical school to be a psychiatrist. Part of why I started medical school late is I have a master's degree in counseling and I worked as a child and adolescent therapist for a number of years. And I went to medical school with the intent of sort of taking the next step of being a psychiatrist. And Essentially, my very last rotation of medical school was an elective. And I was like, okay, what do I know the least about? And at that point, I was set to do an internship because psychiatry at that time, you would do an internship and then you would apply to residency. And so I was like, I don't know anything about skin. I was like, holy cow, I'm really bad at rashes. So I did a rotation and sort of that was it. Um, and I was very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And I happened to have the grades and the things I needed. 
And so I ended up applying to dermatology and after internship, that's what I did. So it was kind of, I was not that person who decided when they were 12, they wanted to be uh-huh. a dermatologist at all. So uh, it, it was the elective. There was nothing about, you did your psych rotation and I was like, oh, I don't think psych's for me. It was just the elective that kind of like swayed you. And you're like, this is where I need to be. Well, I had this epiphany. Um, and part of the epiphany was that I really wanted to fix things. I'm a fixer by nature. And I think that's half the battle when you're in medical school and choosing your specialty. No matter what you choose, you have to love it. And it has to fit who you are as a person, as an individual. And I wanted to fix things. And what I sort of came to realize as I matured throughout, you know, my resident or my medical school training and I was a little bit older and having kids, I started to realize that I wasn't going to fix a lot in psychiatry. And then I got to dermatology and everything was fix it. Somebody walks in, aha, I know what that is. I can fix that. You have a skin cancer. Ah, I can cut that out. Um, Mm -hmm. So it just very quickly sort of fit with who I was. And I won't lie. It was, it hit me at a time in my life where all of a sudden lifestyle started to look much more attractive. I had two little kids. My life was chaos trying to go to medical school with a, you know, a one-year-old and a two-year-old. And this idea of a job where I could actually work 32 hours a week and still make a good salary, that, I won't lie, that factored in. <laughs> <laughs> um, three topics to, to piggyback off that. I love everything you just said. So that's kind of one of the big reasons I switched to dermatology from ortho in the middle of halfway of first year. We had our first daughter. She is three now and my second daughter is one. So it was September first year. And my wife and daughter went back to California to visit all our family. And they were gone for the whole month of September. And we were in the COVID era. Our class was all online, didn't have any friends. We were, I was just like miserable. I was like, how can I go through some specialty that, you know, that may make me not see my family? If I was going to be like this, I would have stayed in the military and retired. I would be retiring in six years. So I, or seven years, and I could have I could have done that. So I was like, what can I do? And I remember my mother-in-law was like, going to dermatology, like my dermatologist is amazing. He loves his kids. And at the time, I'm not going to lie, I was ignorant to it or that's I misinformed. I thought it was just pimples because all I saw was Dr. Pimple Popper. And I was like, you know, I don't want to do just pimples. And then for some reason, something made me go to a Zoom talk for one of our alumni who's uh, at St. Joe's or Trinity now. She's a PGY4 and she did this talk and she just blew my mind to how diverse diver- the dermatology was and how multifaceted it was with immunology, allergy, uh, Mohs surgery and skin cancer and like 99% cure rate and then having a great lifestyle. And after that, I went, started listening to podcasts and dived into YouTubes and interviewed dermatologists in the area. And I just, I've been a dermatologist driven since now because of that foundation of Having something that's going to fit fit my needs of working with my hands, being visual, having that cure factor, and then also having that time with my family. So I love that you said that. And I know it's kind of, you don't want to tell people that because, oh, you you don't want to go into a specialty because of your lifestyle. But you have to have that feeling where you're you're going to feel good and have that fit because then you'll be a good doctor for your patients. Well, I think it's interesting. One of the conversations I have with students often is you should understand what the specialty you're going into is going to pay Mm -hmm. and what it's going to pay per hour's work. Because I think it becomes this taboo that we're not supposed to talk about it. You're supposed to be a doctor and be altruistic through and through, and you're not allowed to understand what your salary outcome is going to be. That's absurd. What other job in the world would you take without first understanding what they're going to pay you to do that job? Right. And I think it's important to understand if you love primary care and that just speaks to you, it's well worth it, right? You still make a good salary. 
But I do think there's a balance. And I think everything you said, you have to enjoy what we do in dermatology every day. You have to be okay talking to people about the mm-hmm. tiny little blemishes that nobody else sees. Like mm-hmm. that, if that's going to annoy the crap out of you, don't go into dermatology. Um, but at the same token, it, it's important to understand what your value is and what you know your mm-hmm. life is going to look like once you graduate. That kind of leads me into my second topic, excuse me, that I want to talk about was like finding who you are. You said that like who you were and being a, a student a little bit later in your life. I always, people like to say knowledge is power and I agree with that, but I think experience has more power than that because how did you feel? How did that experience make you develop into the person who, who you are? How did it make you sad? How did it make you excitement to work harder? And having that experience that being a 30-year-old or a 29-year-old in medical school with two kids made you experience who you want to be and who you, where you want to be and who you are as a person. And that'll fit you into that specialty better. Instead of just saying like, I want to work with my hands or I want to live in the OR and you've never experienced that. Um, that's kind of where I was with the ortho because my wife is an MA and she works for this big ortho practice in San Diego. And they worked with all the professional San Diego charges. I was like, that'd be amazing. You know, I've never experienced the life of the OR until I had my ortho rotation, which was fun. <laughs> but then I was like, I just, the OR life is not where I want to be. And I think that's exactly it. I mean, my best friend from medical school is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. So you think about all of that. And she did all of that through the military. Mm-hmm. Um, she is crazy intense. She is awesome. Mm-hmm. It fits who she is. Right, like right. through and through. Um, I cannot imagine her doing anything but ortho. But yeah, that wasn't my life. I That just <laughs> didn't fit who I was. That would have killed me. <laughs> so I kind of want to take a, a little sidestep. Talking about osteopathic physician, I, uh, a physician, I saw you wrote a paper about the osteopathic, osteopathic philosophy in dermatology, read it, and I thought it was a great topic. I wonder if you can just throw a little key points about how the osteopathic philosophy fits into dermatology for the people who haven't read the paper. Well, first of all, I want to fully disclose that there was a bunch of people on that paper okay. years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the lead author was actually a woman by the name of Dr. Shannon Trotter, and so I give her full accolades mm-hmm. for the paper. Um, and I think the, the thought was that we had to focus on the fact that there are some differences. Obviously, I don't do manipulation. There's really not a place for that a whole lot. I suppose mm-hmm. for things like um, notalgia parasitica, there are places where I refer to some of my DO colleagues who do manipulation for those things, but I don't do them. So there are definitely places for us to use manipulation. Um, most of us don't find the time. The biggest issue is dermatology is very fast paced. Mm -hmm. I see 68 patients an hour. I just don't have time to fit that in. That being said, I think the key is how we think about our patients. And I think the biggest difference is that we look at our patients as the totality of what's happening. And I think that makes me a better physician, especially for things that are very emotional, Mm -hmm. hair loss, um, disfiguring diseases, whether it be disfiguring acne or other diseases that lead to that. I think we're just better at looking at that totality of um, the whole person, taking it all into perspective, because that's sort of how we were taught, right? We were taught to look at the big picture and then to focus in, which is a slightly different. Now, I will say, though, to those, you know, medical students now who are coming out of allopathic schools, The reality is allopathic training has become sort of a blend. They're looking more osteopathic and we're looking a little more allopathic. (laughs) And so I'm finding I have two um, allopathic 
residents who came out of MD schools in my program. And honestly, if you if I didn't know, I wouldn't know that they were trained differently because I think there's really been a blending of looking at that across the board. And I think that's true. You can see that with the residencies merging, the boards going pass fail. Um, I think that's, I don't know, I'm just predicting that'll be even more of a merge over the next five to 10 years, probably. I agree. I think, and we, it's probably good for everyone, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it probably helps make better allopathic physicians. And on the osteopathic side, it helps lend credibility to what we do. Mm-hmm. I think dermatology is probably one of the last holdouts where there's still some definite bias towards osteopathic students coming out. And it's unfortunate. I think it's getting better, but it's still not there. In internal medicine, let's say, I don't think there's a program on the planet that really looks differently at an osteopathic student and allopathic student coming in. Um, That's unfortunately not the case in dermatology. As a third year now applying for auditions around the country, I've seen there are some programs that charge a substantially higher amount for DO students to go there. I've seen $4,000 for DO students and nothing for MD students. So there is that bias in dermatology still that it's, like you said, such a small and small community. And I guess there's that prestige still that they want to hold. And I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think it's it, it, in fairness to people who don't understand some of the history. DO dermatology historically, now this has been before my time. So I've been out 15 years. So we're talking beyond 20 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. There was very much sort of a preceptorship based uh, philosophy mm-hmm. in DO training. That has really changed, obviously. The the switch to ACGME really got rid of any last holdout programs that were still sort of preceptorship-based. Um, but I think that, unfortunately, that's a bias that some of the old-school dermatologists out there still remember mm-hmm. and still sort of hold that against us. But I think, you know, like my program, we're are ultimately trying to hold our own. You know, and I I do my best at really touting the strengths of my residents. You know, I have my senior residents both ranked in the top 10 percentile of all residents on their shelf exams. Uh, the last, their four core exams they have to take. And, and I take every opportunity to tell the world that because that says a lot. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, what that, what I want to say is our program is equally as good at training good dermatologists as other programs that are out there that may come from a traditionally allopathic background. I love to hear that. And that'll help us segue into our next topic. But the preceptorship, we had Dr. Miller, the program director from Largo. He talked about that. Like that was his big thing, how he was a pre he was a preceptorship and people in the community didn't really respect him. And he just kind of like worked very hard and had that tenacity. We talked kind of about that before, like hard work, not letting things gets to you. And we kind of made a name for himself in his program down there in Tampa. Um, so it's crazy to hear that it's shifted away from that. And I'm glad that it has for us osteopathic students. Secondly, for you were talking about your residents, I was just curious on what made you get into training the next generation of dermatologists. So I have always loved to teach when I was a resident myself, I spent a lot of time putting talks together. I went and lectured for interns when I was a a PGY2, I put together a whole intern series because of the things that I wish somebody had told me. Um, so that's just always sort of been what I enjoy doing. 
And then when I graduated from residency, I had the opportunity to work as the residency clinic supervisor. So I was sort of in charge of all the residency clinics. And it was sort of out of necessity, but it was, for me, it was a great opportunity to work with residents. And from there, I just started you know, spending more time and getting more involved in the residency program. I took over, the, like I said, I took over the program 10 years ago. Um, I actually did a 18 month stint as director of medical education while I was still the program director. So I have just always loved working with young, bright minds who are excited to learn, um, helping guide that, having the opportunity to help be a part of it. And today, the fun part for me, which my kids, you know, sort of laugh about, because my children are 22 and 20. So they laugh about the fact that I always say I have kids all over the country. I have mm. residents. I mean, 10 years of residents. There's a lot of residents out there. And I mm. love like getting follow-ups and seeing how their families grow and hearing about their success in life. So it's just a wonderful opportunity to sort of give back. You kind of talked about, or you did talk about like talking about how your residents did so well on their core or their shelf exams. And that kind of comes back to you training someone and then seeing them succeed. Like to me, when I was in the military, when I trained people who were under me and saw them get awards or succeed or pass some type of board or something, it was like prideful for me because I taught that person to be successful. And I think that's, I think that's what you get as a program director as well. And you said you get to see everyone over the last 10 years be successful dermatologists because it kind of came from your lineage. It's, it's not like it's bloating, blowing up your head or anything, but it's just, it's prideful. It feels good because you, you know that you passed on something that from you that's going to help them pass on to someone of the next generation. So I like that. Well, and I think the other thing about being a resident, which, you know, it, it, there's sort of a growth period from coming in as a first year resident to the time you graduate, you sort of learn this. Mm -hmm. Everybody is going to learn different. In the end, they have to do all the hard work. My residents are the ones that have to go home and study mm -hmm. and spend hours at the microscope and, you know, do hundreds yeah. of surgeries to perfect their skills. But the goal is to create an environment that supports who they are. And mm -hmm. not every resident is the same. And so that's the other part is trying to create an environment where all my residents have the opportunity to succeed, not just people who learn a certain way. Right. I like that. So that kind of asked that kind of gets me to my next question. What makes your program stand out? Is it the residents? Is it uh, your curriculum? Is it you as the program director? You know, that's just like a joke, but what do you, what do you think makes your program stand out the most? I think honestly, you know, the residents obviously sort of flow from everything else with mm -hmm. who chooses to spend time in our program, who wants to be a resident, all of those things sort of come from the program itself. But I think number, probably our biggest asset is our faculty. We have okay. a huge faculty. I am seriously the old lady of the program. I'm the oldest <laughs> no. uh, faculty member. Well, you laugh, but it's true. Um, so we kind of laugh about that. I mean, it's a pretty young program. A number of our faculty members actually are individuals who graduated from our residency program and enjoy being around the program enough that they want to stay. So I think probably our biggest strength is sort of a family sort of environment that's built around supporting residents, helping them grow, helping them figure out what it is they want. I have residents who come in who want to go do Moe's. So we've sent many residents to Moe's fellowships. We've sent residents to PATH fellowship. We've sent residents to, um, you know, 
various other things that they are focused on. But I think because it's more family oriented, the faculty goals don't supersede the resident goals. Ultimately, we try and look at each resident and we're all sort of very parental and trying to say, okay, how can we help you get there? You want to go be a great community dermatologist. If you want to own your own practice, um, whatever that is, happy to help them build. I think that's important. Coming into residency, we know it's going to be hard. We know that gap from that jump from year one to year two, there's so much you have to learn. And having that family feel that you know, you're know you supported and you can lean on someone if you need advice or go to someone to get any type of advice, if it's family, outside of school, outside of work or whatever it is. I think that's something that's important for students looking for a program because you don't want to feel like an outcast somewhere where you're going to be maybe struggling for the next four years of your life. So I think that's so key. And life continues to happen. Yep. And so that's the other thing that I, I'm often the voice of reason. I'm the one saying to my residents, guys, you need to take a day off. Go enjoy <laughs> life. Like, and it's always funny because they laugh. They're like, our program director is the one who's saying you need to study less. Mm. And, and it's not that I don't want them to work hard, but I think that you have to understand that life continues and it in dermatology residency should not overshadow everything else that's happening because whether we like it or not i've had a resident who had was diagnosed with on um, non-hodgkin's lymphoma during residency and had to go through chemo and and all of the hardship that went with that i've had residents lose parents i've had residents lose siblings mm -hmm. i've had residents you know go through lots of very key life events and i think the best thing we can do in those situations is come together and support them and say, okay, how do you, what's the best way for you? What do you want from us to help you get through this? Um, if that means they need to take time off, that's great. But like my resident who had cancer, good God, she didn't miss, literally did not have to make up a day. Wow. I think she missed two days because during chemo, she just had, you know, was pretty miserable. Mm -hmm. But that was what was best for her. And mm -hmm. so we did everything in our power to come together and say, okay, Whatever you want, we'll help you. That wasn't coming from us. I think in too many residency programs, there's external pressure from the faculty, from the program. That's hard. Mm -hmm. You know, if you get to this place, you don't need me to tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah. The reality is if you've made it as far as becoming a dermatology resident, you already know how to do all of this stuff. What you need me to do is help create the pathway and take the roadblocks out of your out of your way. I love that. Kind of like we talked before we got on, just things happen in life. They can be tragic and you need people to help you and support you. And like you said, find that. Make How can I make this easy for you so that you can come out of whatever hole this may be? And uh, I love that you have that there. And it makes me feel like warm and fuzzy in my tummy if you want to say something <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, keep going on with the program. I was curious on... You know, that you guys are matching students tomorrow. So that's amazing. I was curious on the class of 24 and behind how you guys are assessing students based on the pass fail step one level one now. I'm not going to lie. I don't know yet. Okay. <laughs> it's all I brand figured. new. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, dermatology, as anyone who's looking at this as a specialty knows, it is very academic. And I don't mean paper writing academic. What mm -hmm. I mean is, you do four years of medical school and you are like ready to go out and treat somebody with diabetes, hypertension, and hyperlipidemia. You mm -hmm. know all, you know the guidelines, you know the drugs, you know all of that. 
you start dermatology residency and you're like, holy cow, this is like starting medical school all over again. It is literally like starting over. You want all that knowledge in the background, but it is, I always say dermatology is, is equally as hard as doing a surgery residency because while you only are maybe in clinic, let's say 35 hours a week, which sounds cush to like my girlfriend who was an orthopedic <laughs> resident. She was like, oh my God, you're never at the hospital. But I would go home and spend eight hours studying, mm-hmm. which she heard. didn't do. Mm-hmm. And so you're doing eight hours of clinic and eight hours of studying. You're still, you're still mm-hmm. spending 16 hours. And interestingly, ACGME doesn't count your studying towards work <laughs> hours. So the whole 80 hour work week doesn't apply to you. That's um, funny. Which is kind of fun. You know, and so, I think what's hard about the pass fail is it will be harder to assess the people who this will be easier for Mm -hmm. and who this is going to be more challenging for, because let's face it, we all have strengths and weaknesses. And I think the best thing you can do for yourself is be realistic. If you know that you're a terrible test taker, but you can work really hard Mm -hmm. and show me that you can get good grades with the extra effort. Then ultimately, this pass-fail thing is awesome, right? Mm -hmm. My only fear is there are occasionally people who probably are focused on dermatology, even though maybe it's not going to be the right field for them from Mm -hmm. an ability to do that. I just just don't want to ever take a resident who ultimately can't be board certified. That would be awful. So I don't know. I think we'll probably just do what we do now. Um, It's just going to make it... I guess personal statements are going to be more important than ever. I mean, honestly, it's just going to get harder and harder to sort of take 450 applicants and narrow it down down to decide who to interview. Yeah, it's just going to be hard. More important to have FaceTime when when it's, you know, available and possible. And I think that's very important. Again, like you said, some people are not great test takers. And I'm not going to lie, my strengths, I'm a good test taker, but I'm not an amazing test taker. I won't lie. Um, and my strengths are my work ethic and building rapport and making connections. And, and I think a lot of students have that too. And they're just worried that I won't be a good dermatologist or we won't be a good dermatologist because of our board scores. And I, I don't know, I'm not a dermatologist yet, but I don't think that makes just a great dermatologist. I know there's, like you said, there's a a lot of material you have to learn over four years. And if there's an uphill battle, you just have to be ready to fight that. Yep. And I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I have had residents who had very mediocre board scores, um, but in fairness, probably one of my best residents I've ever had. Um, she was not the greatest test taker. Um, but you know what? Boards are pass fail. And she is a fantastic, um, like global thinker. So she's really good at assimilating data, which is what patients need from us. They don't need us. It's not useful to a patient if you can recite, you know, every step in the Krebs cycle. That's awesome that your brain holds on to that stuff. But the reality is today, a lot of the minutia that boards tested for, I, I don't care if people mm-hmm. can memorize that. If you can, if you're a great Jeopardy player, that's awesome for mm-hmm. you. But it's really not useful in the clinic. Right. Um, because patients need us to be able to assimilate data, not to recall data. Some of my classmates and I will joke around and be like, oh. Where's the A, B, C, D, E answer for this patient? <laughs> like joke around because that's how we've been, you know, the first two years yeah. and then step one, level level one and shelf exams and stuff. It's just funny joke that we like to say. Uh, I was curious on 
what you and your program looks for in an applicant to stand out? What what makes a student stand out? Say, hey, this this guy or this girl will be a great student or great resident at my program. So I am biased towards sort of the well-rounded applicant. I I don't want I'm less interested in the applicant who has like out of the, you know, ballpark board scores and 25 publications. Um, because oftentimes what I find is those people are, they've spent so much time focused on that. They don't have anything else. So I want the applicant who um, had other life experiences, whether you know, like you talked about it, military, family, um, people who've played sports who mm -hmm. are like, you know, I went to college and I was able to do this, but I also played sports. Um, people who have lots of other interests in life, you know, that when it, it's super helpful when you come to interviews, if you can talk about something other than <laughs> academics, because the reality is your application sort of has all that information. Mm -hmm. It's everything else that we end up talking about. So we probably really select for sort of those well-rounded applicants who are personable, really strong EQ. So I, and I guess that's probably the big thing. I want a nice, healthy balance of EQ and IQ. Um, and that's, that's something that you can pick up in talking to people. And so there's always like this spark. And I always say that and like people kind of look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm looking for like this spark mm -hmm. and like this brightness in their eyes where I can just see like they're, you know, they sort of possess both of those things. Um, and those are really successful residents because they're really great with patients. Um, I don't ever have to worry about what they're going to say or how they're going to manage a tough situation because it just comes natural for those people. Uh, so I'm from Rocky Vista here in, in Colorado, and we've matched quite a few dermatologists in the last couple of years, and I've kind of networked with all of them just to make connections and find out about their programs and stuff. And that's what they said most of the conversations where their interview was, okay, so what'd you do outside of school? Uh, what did you do for fun? Oh, you like to read these books? And that's like the conversations. They didn't care about the research. They didn't really care about their boards. Like you said, they've already saw that on the application. We're here to find out who you really are and what what you're going to bring to the table. So it's just reassuring to hear you say that. Um, and I think students need to hear that again. We don't want to get in this dermatology robot or medical robot. We're humans. We, we, we're not defined by one thing. And I think that's important. We have to remind ourselves because we're so immersed in our studies for four years and then another four or five years after medical school. And we have to remind ourselves that we have to be grounded in who we are as an individual. Um, and we're human. And I think that's so important that you, you as a program director, then your, your program looks for that in students. Yeah, I think it's, you know, in many ways, I'm selecting colleagues and mm -hmm. people that I want to, I spend a lot of time with the residents. Yeah. Um, and so people that I, are, I, I want to spend time with. Now, that doesn't mean we all have to be identical. We right. all have, I mean, I, I have lots of residents who were, you know, some are introverts, some are extroverts. Um, you know, we have different interests. We have different political views. We have different, you know, affiliations. That's all fine. but ultimately at the end of the day we can come together and enjoy the familial sort of mm -hmm. sense that comes from being part of a group i love that so as a student when i'm looking for a programmer us third years second years who are on this listening to this podcast what should a student be looking for in a program to see if they fit there it doesn't have to be yours specifically but generally what should a student be looking for when we're trying to match you know we're so 
we're so worried about just finding a spot and getting into a spot because it's so hard to match. What should we be looking for to make sure that we're going to be a good fit there? So I think the biggest thing students can do is first take a hard look at who you are. Understand who you are and what your strengths are, because everybody's going to bring something different to the table. And then align that with what the program sort of personality is. Now, that's hard. Like, I probably have a far better sense of a lot of the programs because I've, you know, I've been in this for so long. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of the program directors. I know where residents and interns have gone. But ultimately, if you, you know, if you are somebody who loves, really and truly enjoys doing research, and there, I have, I have friends who they find spent writing a paper on a weekend, like a really good accomplishment. I would just assume shoot myself. Like that doesn't (laughs) sound enjoyable at all. So if that's what, if you enjoy that, go to a program that's going to support that. Mm -hmm. I always tell people our program will, you know, help support residents if they, you know, if they want to do some research, but if you're really research driven, we're probably not the program for you. Um, if you are somebody who doesn't want to do any research, really, you're doing what you have to do because you know how to jump through the hoops. Let's yeah. be honest. We all know how to play the game, right? So you're, you're doing research to play the game. Mm-hmm. Don't apply to a program that is like really academic research focused because mm-hmm. you're going to be miserable once you get there. And the other thing is they're going to see through that when they meet with you and when they mm-hmm. interview you. Um, so I think the biggest thing is people being realistic about where they apply. If you're a DO, you probably need to be realistic about applying to the allopathic programs. There's very few allopathic programs that have a strong history of accepting DOs. You know, if you just have killer scores and you have a good relationship, maybe, but don't put all your eggs in one basket because I've watched people who were super bright super great scores. Um, Their mentor was at a allopathic program. So they assumed they had an in, they put all their eggs in a basket and they were super disappointed when they didn't get picked up. Um, So, you know, the beauty is a lot of the programs that used to be DO programs were still very, we very much look at everyone. We interview DO and MDs alike, but I don't, I don't have any biases against DOs. So that, that really opens the door for DO applicants. I love the like kind of like soul searching aspect of it. And kind of to piggyback off the research thing you said, uh, I know uh, PGY1, he's an alumni from my school. A lot of research, a lot of research. And he was at a program. Didn't tell me what program it was, but he was at a program. They're like, you know, you're a great applicant, but based on all your research, you might not want to come here. You might not fit in here. And he had this like awakening. He's like, man, he's like, I want to be a community dermatologist, but I did all this to be, to be competitive. And he's like, I kicked myself in the butt right there because I could have been focusing a little bit more elsewhere. Obviously he's matched and he's, he's gotten to that point to be a dermatologist. But again, he's like, you don't have to do 50 publications or whatever it is to, to stand out. You could just do enough and be well-balanced, like you said, and find where you think you're going to fit in the best. And if it's not research, don't spend your time trying to get so many publications just to stand out, find somewhere you can fit and you can talk about, like you said, in your interview. Work smart, not hard. And the reality is the laziest applicant in many ways is the ideal applicant, right? (laughs) And and I'm not, because obviously if you're a good applicant, my point is 
you should have a healthy dose of mm-hmm. being lazy and knowing, big, finding the shortcuts. Because isn't that really what we all did, right? Mm-hmm. We all mm-hmm. had to learn to play the game to get accepted to medical school. Yep. And it's no different from this stage forward. Um, you know, it, you have to learn sort of to do those things. But I think you're right. You know, having a nice, like, diverse application where you can talk about you know, maybe you did a mission trip somewhere, but do things you're passionate about because that comes out in the interview. I like, I love talking to people where you can just tell they're just passionate about whatever it was they were involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's something that I personally have no interest in, that's okay. I just think it's cool that people, you know, do these things. You know, I've had applicants where they got on and they, like, you, you could talk about your podcast and people come <laughs> on and they've like, Somebody had done this whole uh, YouTube series with their dog, um, you <laughs> yeah. know, really random, yeah. right? Yeah. Had nothing to do with medical training, but it, it sort of highlighted their the fun part of them and the creative part, and and we need all of that yeah. to be good physicians and to be able to talk to our patients. I agree because you may someone else may love YouTube dog videos and you'd be able to talk <laughs> to them about it and just say, hey, here's my channel. I agree with that, and again. It shows that you're not so stuck in just like medicine. We're we're someone else. We're we're not just one facet. So how are we going to detach when we leave here? What are we going to do for fun to enjoy ourselves so we can take that weight off our shoulders, a load off our chest from a stressful day? So I love that too. Yep, I agree wholeheartedly. So I was just curious on if there was opportunities for students to join maybe virtual grand rounds if you have that or virtual didactics or if there's a way for students to get involved with your program before doing an audition or um matching so to say absolutely so our grand rounds are all virtual uh which makes it super easy um they're typically on wednesday nights we start at 6 p.m eastern standard time which may be a little more complicated though i'm happy to you know if people ever wanted us to record them i'm happy to do that and forward that um beyond that we don't like our journal clubs and things happen during didactics but, you know, ultimately, happy to leave my email at the end. The easiest thing is probably to email me. I will forward it on to the residents that are in charge because that changes year to year. Mm-hmm. And so depending upon where somebody is in their training, uh, when they're ready to attend virtual grand rounds, the person to contact to get your name listed for an invite is going to change year to year. Um, but there's always opportunities. The other thing, you know, like, if anybody's going to AAD or we don't really, our program doesn't attend AOCD because we're not, our program is not um, part of the AOCD. Our hospital okay. only allows us to to belong to one side or the other. And so we obviously need to be uh, ACGME. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't do that, but we attend um, AAD every year. Mm-hmm. So the residents are always around. And I will say my residents are always happy to have students participate in research, um, you know, various opportunities like that. And they're also, because I like, my residents tend to be very well-rounded, they also tend to be very gregarious and outgoing and willing to interact with students. Um, and so usually like, and, and some are more than others. Mm-hmm. And so every year I probably have two or three who are sort of the more social people who interact, but happy to connect anybody with, you know, those residents, if they're looking for opportunities. Is it okay? Whatever email you want to share, if I put it in the show notes at the end. So when people like open this, they can see your email at the end. 
Yep. And okay. you have just use my email that you have on file. That's okay. perfect. Perfect. Yep. That would probably be easier than trying to have people write it down. <laughs> uh, so that was going to kind of pick you back up AOCD because I was there two, three weeks ago in, in uh, West Palm Beach. And I was like looking for you guys' program to see if I can talk to you all about all this stuff. But I understand that now. You guys uh, will be at AO AAD next week. Correct. Yeah, I can't make that one. Couldn't afford it with two kids. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it's hard. Yeah. And I think that's often, you know, that's always a big question. Is it worth going? And I think it is if the program you're, you know, some of the programs you're interested in are going to be there. The big thing I tell students is without being annoying. And right. it, so it's a, it's a, it is a, a soft line you have to try and learn not to cross. Just make yourself visible. Mm -hmm. Um. It is really, it's better if I already know a name or a face when I get applications, that makes all the difference in the world. When the residents go, oh my gosh, we met Nate. We thought he was great. Mm -hmm. You know, he was at AED or, you know, I had that call with him. That makes all the difference of your application getting pulled to the front um, and getting looked at. So those kinds of things are super important. I think it's important. Networking is very, very important. I think, especially in such a small field. Again, I haven't matched yet, but everyone that I know who's matched from our schools, like networking is so important. And just being someone they can build a, or being someone you can build a relationship with. Again, don't be annoying. Again, that's kind of the fear about this podcast because we have to reach out to all these program directors and residents. So I don't want to be annoying. But they say, don't be annoying. Just make those connections because if you can be memorable in, in such a, a short amount of time, that will go a long way. So I'm glad that you said that too. I, I mean, I think that's that's the huge part. I tell every student who rotates with me, I'm like, you know, we are super busy and mm. I see a lot of rotators. Don't hesitate to shoot me an email, but do it. You know, I always tell them, you know, do it in sort of a nice way. Like if you work with a preceptor and you guys talked about baking apple pie because it was at Thanksgiving, you know, when you send them a, an email mention something about the apple pie like it's just those eq mm -hmm. moments yeah. where yeah. you use that stuff and it helps people go oh i remember them um because names are tough the other thing i think is awesome put your photo on your byline it's hugely hugely helpful when i get an email and it says whoever and there's a photo i go oh yeah i remember them names are tough mm -hmm. so photos um yeah, just little things that kind of really help you along the way. I love, that, I love that you said that because Dr. Miller said that in his podcast episode too with my other host who actually interviewed him. But he said that and that's maybe a year and a half ago. I put mine in my email. And I think people, students need to hear that. So I'm glad that you said that to be reiterated so people can hear it because it's such a good tactic. Again, you say, hey, I met you at AAD. Oh yeah, there's this picture in the email. Oh, I remember. And then it's just, you're solidifying yourself in someone's brain so you won't be forget for, forgotten. Very, very important. So my final question that I like to ask every... I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. My, my final question I like to ask is because uh, medical school, there's different stages if you're trying to get into dermatology. I was curious on your advice for first year, second year, third year, and fourth year, uh, getting into dermatology because we know each, each step's a little different. Or we can kind of break it up into like the preclinical years and the clinical years because we now some schools are doing like one year and then jumping into clinicals. Um, I think the first year or two, you need to focus on just being a medical student. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know the first year of medical school is like drinking out of a fire hose. So during that year, you need to focus on that, focus on learning, uh, 
dermatology can be at the background uh, at that point. And then I think as you, you know, if you, as you're a second year, if you have a little more time and you can spend some time writing a couple of case reports, it's a great time to get some case reports out of the way. So you have that research stuff to put on your application. And then third year, you got to go to programs. You got to go get seen. I love it. So what do you have advice for fourth years doing um, if they still have auditions and interview season? Well, it's hard because most of the work is done, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, most of us interview in the fall. So mm -hmm. you don't have a whole lot of time fourth year to do a whole lot else. Maybe you're doing a couple final rotations. That's a good time in the fall to be checking in with programs and just helping remind them who you were <laughs> and that they liked you, especially if you came early in your third year. And then I think interview season, really being prepared to talk about who you are mm -hmm. and, and not don't worry so much about talking about your academics and stuff. I mean, there are programs that are going to ask you that. Um, and there's going to be programs that ask you the crazy off the wall questions, but <laughs> more, I, I, yeah, that's not our program, but there are programs like that. But most of it, I think just go in prepared to be you. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard because it's all zoom. And some yeah. of us are better at Zoom than others. So for people who aren't good at it, maybe start practicing. I agree. Practice and talking to a wall. Yeah. Yeah. It's because we're kind of doing it right now. I'll talk to you. Then I'll look off screen and go off topic. And then I'll look off screen. So it's you want to keep your eyes on the screen. So I think that's very good to practice at that. Um, and yeah, great advice. All right, everyone. I want to thank Dr. Sammons for joining us today. Uh, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the DIGA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to dermeinterestpod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 